Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Ann and Lewis speak with Nate Ninehouse and Taz Turner from Canadian cannabis company Cordovacan, which is focusing its investments on the U.S. market. Chief Operating Officer Nate is eminently qualified, having worked both sides of the border as head horticulturist at dispensaries in California, Arizona, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, and Washington, D.C., as well as in Canada. While Nate focuses on the plant itself, Taz keeps things running as the chairman and CEO. This is an episode you do not want to miss. Don't sit back, lean forward. And now on to our interview with Nate Ninehouse and Taz Turner. So Taz and Nate, thank you guys so much for being here. We're excited to chat with you. Um, before we jump in, um, we've had some feedback that we don't always, we're not always great at, at uh, telling our listeners who exactly the company is we're talking to. We tend to just jump right in. So um, can you tell us and our listeners in your own words about Cordova Can, what it is you guys do, and what's your mission? Sure. Thanks for having us. Uh, this is Taz. I'll, I'll take that one. Um, so at Cordova Can, uh, we're really building a global cannabis business. Uh, we started by focusing on the U.S. Uh, states in the western U.S. because we feel that those are the more developed markets where there's you know, significant revenue and cash flow already being generated. And then our plan is to, to move internationally, um, initially through Canada, uh, because of the regulatory framework is set up there to move internationally, and then also move east um, into the rest of the United States and, and, and beyond, really. So the slogan of that, that you guys have been working with is the opportunity is now, which seems just really fitting since you are based in Canada um, and Canada is legalizing adult use cannabis on October 17th. Um, but you also seem very focused on the U.S. Can you talk about how you are investing in the U.S. and, um, and what that strategy is for you guys? Sure. Yeah, I mean, so the opportunity is now uh, – quote there. I mean, it really does apply globally. Obviously, it, it, it certainly applies in Canada as we um, start to, to build product there and also, you know, start to build our, our base for export. Um, and it also applies to, to internationally because there's a lot of international governments that are adopting frameworks uh, for the legalization of cannabis. And, and there is demand, uh, which Nate can speak to probably more directly than I can, uh, uh, for cannabis products that are um, built in the U.S. And, and even more specifically, probably built and uh, born and bred in, in California, doesn't mean we can actually build them there. But in terms of the brands that have been built there, we can we can uh, build them in in different jurisdictions and uh, and allow those brands to be sold internationally. But yeah, more directly to your to your um, question, uh, it certainly applies to the U.S. I mean, everyone has seen the uh, the data on it in terms of the acceptance across um, the consumer base uh, across the country, regardless of where you live in and what state you live in. So, um, you know, that acceptance, um, the, the idea that California is, is only nine months into accepting recreational cannabis, the idea that other states are uh, adopting cannabis legislation uh, in the coming elections, uh, all of that, you know, leads to, yeah, I mean, we think now is the, the right time to be investing in this space and, and, Great companies are going to be built. Um, you know, they've already started being built, and they're going to be built over the next few years here. 
So you guys both have different roles in the organization, Taz. You're the 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 financial guy, the the corporate guy, and Nate, you're you're the grower. You're the man who knows more about the plant than probably anybody else. And and it's really you have a unique history because back in 2012, you were one of the first to operate in DC, which is unbelievably unique. So what was that like when you were when you started working in in Washington? It was uh, it was a really interesting experience. Um, it was unnerving to start. I came from uh, Southern California to go out there, and uh, it was uh, kind of a big step. It, it basically it took me out of an environment I was very comfortable working with, surrounded by relationships that had been built over many years, and kind of dropped me into a whole new world that was surrounded by tons of regulatory bodies and uh, very confined spaces <laughs> so it was it was it was really uh interesting um the original program in dc was based on uh exclusively on palliative care as opposed to the ability to be more specific at ailment um uh, directed therapies so it was tough because that cre- that was not only that dc isn't a very big market but that <laughs> consumer base in that market was also not very big but it did it allowed us to get a ton of feedback from people that were going through some of the toughest times in their life and or the end of their life. And so we were it was a very compassionate program. I believe it served the intent of the beginning of the program. We've all observed that has grown significantly since and expanded into, you know, other other consumer bases um, and has effectively all but been completely legalized within the District of Columbia. Um, it's a strange it's a strange adult use program, right? I mean, it's like there's no stores, but you can have it. You can grow it yourself, but you can't. I mean, like... It, yeah, there's no can, commerce to it. You can't sell it. You can give it away, um, but you can't charge for any of it. It's, it's very unique that way. Um, it's, yeah, it's a kind of a communal concept, but it, it was a... It was weird because obviously anything more than that would have bumped right into federal laws and anything less, they were going to have an uprising. So <laughs> they had to so find you, a way to accommodate. You must have had to deal with regulators and, and more importantly, Congress people, legislators, um, as you were working back then and, and, you know, through the move towards adult use. So, like, I have a really important question. What was their favorite strain? I'm kidding. That, I'm kidding. That we started with in DC. Well, I, well, I would look at it perhaps differently than a consumer would have, um, because I looked at it from the one that I believed uh, not only could I produce most efficacy, uh, but also that would have the best reaction by the by the market. So it would be better, best suited for what their needs were. All right. Well, then what was it? Uh, it was probably a fairly old school skunk dominant Jack Herrera. I love Jack Herrera. So, Taz, while while Nate was was talking weeds and politics, um, your background is in financial services. So, can you talk a little bit about your <laughs> cannabis story? How did you get How did you get to here to channel my inner Liz Lemon? Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, I, I like to call it you know the, the sharp left hand turn that I took. My my background's in in private equity. Uh, spent the last you know fifteen plus years in the hedge fund world. Um, I worked, uh, I was, I did mostly tech, internet and consumer, uh, and did, you know, kind of ran the tech and internet portfolios for a, a $5 billion plus, uh, hedge fund for some time in New York. Um, I then went out on my own in 2010 
and uh, in 2012 made my first cannabis investment um, in the Canadian market. And uh, actually, it was around that time that I met Nate, and so uh, I, I've known I've known Nate for quite some time. Uh, made a bunch of investments in the in the um, Canadian market. You know, did relatively well. Certainly, um, if I had the foresight to know where the Canadian market would be today, uh, I would have done much better. Um, but yeah, it was it was you know the last I you know after doing that and spending spending my time there, thinking it was you know I don't want to say played out, but in terms of you know my kind of institutional way I looked at things, thought it had kind of played out to some degree. Uh, started focusing on the U.S. opportunities about three years ago, and uh, and Nate and I started talking. Um, about this probably, you know, a little bit, you know, around that time, about, you know, two and a half, two years ago, um, I was helping at that time, uh, a a number of U S companies, uh, get Canadian investors because I had, uh, the lines into kind of the Canadian banks and the Canadian investment community in this space. And so in doing that, um, it was great. There were some interesting companies, but I think really what started the conversation between Nate and myself and others was the fact that, you know, we thought there was a better way to do it. And so that was kind of the start of Cordova. Can I ask how you guys first met? Was it love at first sight? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I can, uh, you know, uh, not trying to blow smoke up uh, anyone's ass, but he, uh, you know, listen, I mean, somebody with his background and, and his knowledge, it was it was something that allowed what, me to what feel is, very comfortable. Na- what is his background? Because, you know, I, I know that, you know, Nate is a name. But but what is your background, Nate? Like, how who are who are you? <laughs> how long do you want this interview to be? Um, uh, no, it's, uh, uh, I've been doing this for many many years now. Um, you know, basically, you know, went medically legal in '96 in California, and I had an engineering background. And so, co- friends and colleagues uh, would approach me and say, "Hey, look." Uh, you know, I've got a relative that's dealing with cancer, and I read about this on the internet, but I don't know how to turn any of this stuff on. How do I make it work? And so that was really how it started, was my I could help people put together a small personal grow that was legal in California in their home to provide for themselves. And um, so that was where it all kind of began, and then it just continued to grow and in in, in scale and uh you know, we went from those small personal operations to larger, more commercial operations. And then, you know, the government started to get involved and you started to see state programs. Um, you know, obviously, Colorado was one of the first that really launched a bigger, more recognizable state program. Uh, but they ran into a lot of the same issues. Everyone was excited about it and not that many people knew how to turn it on. So, you know, that was where I, I was able to participate heavily in, in that regard. And uh, then that all kind of just has continued to, to roll in. Taz and I met um, on one of the first Canadian projects that I was participating in. Um, and so he was he was involved on the investment side. I was involved on the operations side. And uh, Taz was probably one of the first and maybe still the only bankers that I don't, to- uh, you know, find you know i find tolerable to spend extra uh, extra time than just the meeting Taz, so. you're tolerable <laughs> well yeah i know that's about that's about the extent of it no but i mean I, I do think that like in terms of you know in terms of background i mean nate's rather, rather humble i mean in terms of you know his you know obviously the experience before the dc program but then after that i think you know leveraging that into both you know 
governments kind of all over the world as well as into you know commercial operations into into you know international countries you know i think it led me to basically my my first call on a number of different investment opportunities that i was looking at over the last 7 years was was to him and quite frankly he probably got me got tired of me uh, calling him about all this stuff and said hey you know why don't why don't we do something a little bit more productive than you you wasted my time so uh, so yeah so that's that's kind of how it's how it all started so don't take this the wrong way, Taz, but you, you know, you kind of represent the, the suits in this industry, right? Um, and, and Nate, you're the, the historic growers and there's been this tension between the suits, you know, we, we call it the suits and the stoners. How did, how, Nate, how did you overcome that, that inherent distrust of the guys who wear ties, um, to say, yeah, I want to go into business with him. Who said it was overcome? I, <laughs> <laughs> I did I, he still has to to bribe me and con me into putting a suit on for meetings, and he can vouch for that. <laughs> you, most of the time, you're lucky if you w- catch me wearing shoes. So, um, but uh, you know, it, it is challenging, and I've, I don't mind admitting I've learned a lot of lessons the the good old fashioned hard way uh, when it comes to knowing how to protect oneself in that world. Um, you know, they're good at what they do the same way guys from my world are good at what they do. So it's, uh, it's, it is challenging, but it's been a really fun educational process. I've learned, I mean, I've always maintained an attitude that the day I show up to work and I don't learn something, uh, then uh, that's on me and I, I need to find something else to do. And this is a, this, this industry has created an amazing opportunity for me personally that I really appreciate is the opportunity to learn every single day and improve not only my trade, but the industry as a whole. And so there's been a lot of challenges along the way, um, not just for us, but I mean, anyone that's been watching the industry has seen it happen uh, where things didn't always go to plan, but we're getting there and everyone's getting better at it. Um, so it's, it, it goes hand in hand because, you know, there is that inherent distrust for guys in the suits, but the bottom line is, is they had a really hard time trusting guys like us. So and for understandable reasons. We come from a world that they didn't understand either. So it's getting better, um, and there's going to be sharks in the water on both sides, and hopefully that it, it's improving. But, you know, I think it was equally challenging for the, the guys in suits to feel confident, com- confident and comfortable approaching the industry guys because it was another world for them too. You guys are vertically... Um integrated right i mean you, 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 but but there are a lot of guys out there so what would you say makes cordova different than say a green thumb or any of the other vertically integrated companies you know what 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 is the unique value proposition to you yeah i mean this may sound trite but i think you know it probably starts with the focus on on the west coast and in, in, in california in particular but really the west coast and you know some people say mature i, I would much rather use the, the term developed markets um, because those markets, quite frankly, are the ones that are generating significant revenue. They're generating cash flow by the operators. Yeah, you know, a lot of what the public sees in terms of the public market, um, you know, th- those operations aren't scalable. But there's a number of scalable operations on the West Coast, and our focus has been uh, to focus on those on, on those states where where there truly is scale and and, and really. You know, one of our main goals over the next 12 to 18 months is is show the true scalability of, of this cannabis market, uh, or of this you know cannabis operations uh, in particular, um, because I, I I don't think that's well understood by 
by the suits like me. I mean, I think the way that the investors in this in, in, in understand this game is that, you know, scale in this market is, you know, 100, 150, 200 million in revenue before you make your first profit dollar, because that's what the public companies in this space have have trained the investor to believe. But the fact of the matter is there, there there's a lot of profit in this business um, that's already been shown by a lot of guys in the hills over the last 50 years. And we want to kind of bring that to the forefront um, you know, in, in the coming, in the coming months and quarters. Can you describe, I mean, and does this apply, does, does what you just said apply to both the U S and the Canadian market? Um, or is that, are you period end of question? <laughs> I, I think in terms of the Canadian market, I think, I mean, it's a little bit different tact for us. I think the Canadian market, sure. You know, do we, you know, we're entering the Canadian market. Sure. Will we play there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, our goal is to take, you know, massive market share in Canada. There's a number of players with significantly deep pockets to go at that market. Uh, doesn't mean that we can't get any of it, but it's certainly, you know, it also is not a massive market in terms of the domestic market in Canada. The real play for us in, in moving into Canada is really the regulatory framework that it provides to serve as the, you know, export jumping off point for the international markets. And in terms of, of, of your, your question, you know, I think it'll be a different construct in terms of the operating model um, for most of the international revenues initially, because it'll, it'll be a truly import export, uh, I mean, really just export business um, to, to those markets. So it's just sale for what, you know, selling a product for, for, you know, X amount of profit. But no, I mean, I think, you know, o over time, you know, as, as those markets develop, uh, in their own right, you know, you should certainly see the scalability and, and we'd like to play in those markets as well. But, you know, first things first, I think it's, it's moving to Canada for the export, um, for the export market and, and leveraging a number of the relationships, quite frankly, that, um, our team has, and, and specifically Nate quite ha has quite a few, um, to, to, to be able to, to sell into those, to, into those markets. We're talking, just to remind our audience, since it's been about 15 minutes since we started doing this, that we're talking with Taz Turner and Nate Nienheis from Cordova Can. Taz, you've been saying how much you're focused on the West Coast and, and California in particular. Um, and as a relatively open market, it's it's super hyper competitive, right? There's lots of companies in, in, the, in California that you are competing with. Why not target more limited license states like uh, Massachusetts or New Jersey where, you know, if you get a license it, and, and because you guys are good at doing what you do, it's almost a license to print money versus the cauldron that is California. I, I guess it's, I really, it's a two pronged answer. One is the volume and the size of the California market, pay, you know, is massive com in comparison to those other, you know, nascent markets. And then I think the second part of that answer is sure, you know, you can be one of the first, however many X players enters nascent market, you know, A, B, or C. But you know, we've seen in every market time and time again that those state governments issue more and more licenses, right? So that so the initial licenses come out for however many you know people to play, you know. I'm making numbers up here, but a third of those guys get out of the blocks fast and, 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 and make a dent in the market and gain market share. A third of those guys, you know, build something and, and, you know, are playing in it, but not, you know, making the money that they thought they were going to make with stars in their eyes. And they turn back to their old, you know, jobs of, of whatever they were doing prior to this 
And then a third of those guys never get, you know, farther than the piece of paper that they got, right? And so what we've seen is the devaluation of those um, licenses over time in, in all of these markets. And so, you know, certainly there's, there, there will be a market that proves this theory wrong. But in every market that, I, that I've seen um, to date, certainly in the U.S., as new, market, as new licenses are issued, that, that piece of become, paper becomes less and less valuable. And sure, there's, there's value to being, you know, first to market. But in terms of creating a brand, you know, or brands on the West Coast, that, you know, we think that that's the quickest way to scale. And then moving those brands uh, into those more nascent markets, um, you know, while not easy certainly feels like a, a, the more appropriate approach, approach for us to take. And, and we, can, we can decide, quite frankly, we can decide when to enter those, those more nascent markets uh, at a time when they're, you know, the, the size uh, that's, that matters to us, right? And so, you know, we, there's a number of players out there that have made moves in markets that they thought would come online much quicker than they have. And so why not take a wait-and-see approach, you know, and then go whole hog into it when we're ready? Relatively speaking, the legitimate legal cannabis market is young, um, and you're very early in the life of um, Cordova Can as a company. Can you talk about, you know, why go public so early in, in your company's history and, and why not wait? What what benefits are there? Um, because you trade publicly on the CSE one. We'll make sure we have a, a ticker, uh, a link to the ticker in the in the show notes. But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So the ticker CDVA on the CSE, um, you know, we, we recently public went public on the CSE. We're also listed, um, have been listed historically on the uh, on the OTC under the ticker LVRLF. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, you have to remember that, you know, pre kind of the sessions, you know, January 4th sessions, you know, proclamation that, you know, didn't put people back on their heels in terms of investment. And then obviously the reversal of course in the, in the months after that, you know, we started this, you know, prior to all of that. And, and the idea uh, with going public was pretty simple. It was an access to capital, you know, nine months ago, um, the only access to capital outside of high net worth individuals in the U S was, was the Canadian public market. So it just made sense. It was the quickest way to, to gain scale on the market. And, um, and that, you know, in addition to that, I think, uh, beyond the capital, um, the capital, um, uh, the ability to raise capital in Canada. The other piece of that is, is the public market just provides optionality. Um, it, it allows you to, to go out and, you know, whether it's make acquisitions, whether it's position yourselves in, in a certain light. I mean, there's a lot of optionality to being public versus being private. And, and that was the road we decided to take, but mostly for capital reasons. We are taping this on um, October 5th, which is just 12 days before um, Canada becomes a fully adult use country. Um, how does how does this affect you guys? And, you know, is there going to be a ticker tape parade or actually not ticker tape, but it would be like a lot a lot of rolling papers flying around? <laughs> uh, that is a great question. Um, you know, I. Does it? How does it affect us? I mean, certainly it, it brings you know. Obviously, it brings cannabis one one more step forward in 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 terms of acceptance uh, on a global scale. Um, in terms of how we're going to operate, you know, I don't think it changes one one thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, certainly it, it pushes forward uh, our international strategy, right? Because the the regulatory framework continues to shape up um, and allow us to move move towards um, providing you know, a suite of, of, of products towards the international markets and towards the Canadian market, you know, when we're ready. We know that 
uh, it's been widely reported that there is a commission, a group within the White House that um, is looking at federal policy um, on on cannabis right now. You know, his, not historically, but but since he's been elected, Trump has kind of made noises that he is pro pot. But but we have this other side of it where he's got this group that's saying, how do we actually slow this down? What do you, you know, as somebody who has worked in D.C., what do you think is happening and what do you think the reality of some sort of either descheduling or legalization during the Trump administration is? Whether or not it happens in the Trump administration is anyone's best guess. I mean, we've obviously observed he's not uh, not afraid to make volatile decisions as needed. Um, but uh, from my understanding, from the interactions I've had, it will be largely a political move. So whether that goes on the next, uh, you know, ballot with regard to the next presidential election or, I mean, as we commented on earlier, there's there's a huge public acceptance uh, across the country, at least especially for the, the medical uh, consumption. Um, obviously, a little different for recreational, but uh, um, you know that's that's would be my anticipation of how it would push forward. I think the the government's very clear on what the regulated program would look like, um, and I'm sure that they have a game plan for implementation. Uh, but it would it it will draw on a lot of different things because it we won't it would not operate the way a state program runs it would have you know it, it, you would uh, you would see the federal regulatory bodies that are now responsible for enforcement and oversight and all those things so there's a lot of different components that would need to gear up just to have it just to participate in it um and and so there is that i'm ex- i would assume that's what the commission is working on is is those components and then you know when it ends up being part of someone's political strategy is probably the most likely time that it will have a real chance of, of, of adjusting from where it stands today from a, from a legal standpoint. If it gets legalized whenever, what impact does that have on you? Well, the good news is that I've had a, my own fair share of experience working in that, those types of regulated environments. And so Uh, Our facility design and operational concept are compliant with that type of an environment. It is going to represent a real challenge for the industry as a whole, as most of us that have, uh, you know, looked into the industry can observe is there's a pretty good variety of different regulatory concepts uh, from state to state. And obviously a federal program would nationalize that. And so there would, there'd be a learning curve for a lot of the existing state agencies and you'll probably see some of them push back on states' rights to allow them to continue with their own program and just keep the feds out of it. But who knows how that's going to go as well. I guess in light of that, or or maybe just putting that aside, what's next for you guys as a company? So what do the next six months, 12 months look like for you? Yeah. And I that's mean, to I, Taz or to Nate, whoever wants to answer that one. I mean, I'll, I'll, this is Taz. I, I'll take that. I mean, I think I think you'll see quite a few things. I think you'll see us, you know, make, you know, expand our operations, uh, operational abilities in, in California. I think you'll see us move into other states uh, on the West Coast and possibly uh, moving east. Uh, you'll see us get this Canadian LP up uh, and, and, and moving into, you know, international uh, uh, agreements to, for export. And um, I think you'll also see us 
move into uh, or, or start utilizing the technology um, that we uh, that we acquired part of um, a couple of months back um, to allow yeah, talk us to about have that. a yeah to allow us to have a competitive advantage relative to the other players uh, in the markets that we serve and and certainly Nate's more uh, more of a the right person to be talking about this. I'll, I'll hand it off. Okay, so well, uh, I can talk about this for quite some time. Maybe if you have some specific questions about it, I can more tailor my answer. Is there? What would you like to know? I guess let's talk about you know wh- what tech what this technology does. So it's it's a a company out of um, of Canada called NWN. Um, do I have that right? Um, and you know what does this do? It seems to have a, a really scalable. Um, impact on on what you guys can do across state lines and across you know country lines right and you can you can be using this technology in canada and you can be using it um in the u.s i guess maybe just um you know give us the the thirty thousand foot view on that and what it does Sure. so the concept was and you kind of you hit on it pretty accurately there when with regard to you know from a legal standpoint there's we're who knows how far away from being able to have um, you know, state-to-state commerce or even true international commerce with the United States. Um, so what are the, the, the general concept uh, of the technology to start was, okay, how do we standardize a platform where the same product can be built in multiple places, and it, but we can have uh, effectively a more, um, an, a true consistent product from different manufacturing sites wherever they may be located. So <clears throat> we started with you know, asking the fundamental questions of what is the challenge in doing that now? And one of the wonderful things about working with cannabis is that you're working with a a very natural uh, set of compounds that come from directly from the plant and are otherwise unadulterated in any way. No additives. We're not over-processing them or doing anything else to them like, you know, typical pharmaceuticals would have done. And, uh, you know, the hard part is, is that that's such a unique suite of, of compounds and terpenes and just, you know, all of nature's perfect combination there that it's, it's basically impossible to, to do it on a synthetic platform and have it and have the same efficacy or experience. And so what we're, what our, we started with on the technology was, okay, how do we take this all the way backwards apart and isolate it by compound and identify a roadmap for creating that product line that's mimicking that nature's already well done recipe. And so we developed technology where we're able to, to reverse engineer that. And then taking it from there, we, we took it to say, okay, how do we isolate the different components within this, this lineup as far as what's causing which personal effect, um, whether that be for treatment in a medical case or perceived impact on a recreational uh, consumer. Uh, and so we've, we've got a great team of scientists in Canada, uh, 30 full-time scientists that work on this all day, every day, and they, they really love their jobs. And uh, so we've, we've developed those roadmaps and those recipes. And because we're working with isolated compounds, we can we can map out the whole recipe and literally put satellite manufacturing um, facilities in each of the respective jurisdictions and be able to build to that roadmap uh, the precise product profile 
that we've already proven has a desired effect. And so that's where it started. And then from there, we went on to develop technology that uh, will increase the production of certain compounds within the plant that we need in greater volume than nature per perhaps would provide for us. And so we're able to um, specifically target that in the cultivation side of things and, and increase the efficiency of overall production that way. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of small moving parts, but that was the thirty thousand foot view of the of the the intended target of what this technology is doing, and it's it's a really neat opportunity because it's it's ever growing. For the same way, you know, as breeders, we we build plants, we you know we uh, hybridize different types of genetics to achieve desired goals. We're the same the same outcomes will be true from the ongoing research that we're doing. Um, in the lab to continue to develop new and, and more exciting combinations of these compounds to give the consumer what they either need or want on a very consistent basis. So, so let's stick with that theme for a second. I mean, you, you Nate, are uh, the king of the plant. Um, and we've talked with lots of people who say that, they, that they're great at growing and, and lots of people that say, well, our strains are the best. What does it really take to, to be good at growing at scale? Like if you're going to be growing for hundreds or if not thousands of pounds, what does it take to do that? Well, it is very different than what you would say most people have had experience at. You know, uh, a 10,000 square foot facility is not the same as 10 1,000 square foot facilities. They just simply don't function the same way. And that compounds up as you continue to grow to effectively any scale you can think of. Um, so they, there's, there's a, a whole lot of different challenges um, along that path. Kind of depends on what your, your goal is. Uh, anytime that someone asks me, hey, what would you do in this situation? What, how would you design this? Or what equipment do I need? first question to ask yourself is what product do you want to come out the other end? Because that dictates everything you do to get there. And I think a lot of the, the challenges people face is that they start by buying, retrofitting, or purpose building a facility, and then they find out at the end, it's like, well, it builds a product, but not the one we wanted. What do we do now? <laughs> and that's a, that's, that's, not a, it's, that's a result of, a, in my opinion, approaching the sequence in reverse order. You know, you identifying what your your intended you know product line is will outline the path of travel to get there uh, for someone who's had commercial industrial experience in cannabis production so um, a lot of, sorry go ahead I was gonna say you know a lot a lot of guys who ha who have tried to make that transition though from being an illicit you know either outdoor grower or greenhouse grower and going to commercial I mean is there a lesson that you can say to them or say, Hey, you know, don't make this, this, like if you can be specific and say like, this is a stupid mistake that you can easily avoid. What would that be? Uh, be very patient and don't be afraid to make mistakes because you've got yourself into a spot that you didn't know how to handle and really focus on the fact that you have to play by the rules. And you will be checked that you are being watched and it's a different world. And that's probably the toughest transition coming from anybody that's in, in even a gray market area is most of their practices are, you know, an artwork to them. It's, 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 
it's something that they've, they've done out of a uh, passionate love for however long they've been doing it. And that's wonderful. And that's that, that attitude and that spirit in their work is great. But when you combine that with a regulatory requirement to be compliant with specific things along the way, it gets really frustrating because you keep getting your hand slapped. It's like, no, 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 this is how I do this. Well, that's how you used to do that. Now you have to do it this way, or at least you can't do it that way. And it, so that's why I said be patient because you're going to have to relearn a lot of what you do because you can't do it the way you used to do it anymore. And it is very challenging. And that's why a lot of times they get a different result out the out, out of the end of the assembly process that they're scratching their head going, well, this isn't what I normally got from this. It's because it was changed along the way. Taz, let's take the same, a similar approach to you. You know, you, you, you were not a public company CEO. Now you are a public company CEO and you come out of the capital markets. But what are the lessons that you've learned being a CEO of a public company that you could translate to people who are thinking like, oh, I can do that. I want to do that. Or like, what is the thing that like the, the oh, shit, I didn't think of this moment. Um, like, what would you tell somebody who's thinking about this? <laughs> I mean, I've had a lot of oh shit moments and, and the tenure hasn't been all that long. I mean, what I can say is, is that we tried from the, you know, we, we talked about building this well before we set the plan in motion. And, you know, I tried to mitigate as many of those moments as possible. And, and a number of those moments were, were actually mitigated, by, but I didn't know it <laughs> at the time. Um, and it's really just it's a, it's a function of, you know, bringing the best people around the table as possible. And, you know, quite honestly, I wouldn't be doing this right now if uh, if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't somebody like Nate on the other side to to be able to um, give that operational focus and expertise. And, and that also goes with a lot of the regulatory uh, stuff in Canada. I mean, certainly my background, you know, I'm a, I'm a U.S. guy. I, I certainly invested in Canadian markets, but in terms of knowing the ins and outs of those markets and the and the and the on the on the security side, that was not my background. So, we have people that have been you know addressing that and that have have that expertise. So we we try to basically map this out from the beginning, um, to to hit all those areas. And so, yeah, I mean, have there been moments? Um, certainly. Um, but but yeah, we're 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 still and we're still building the team right to continue to to and building it the right way. I, I think, you know. You know, having seen a number of different management teams, uh, you know, come at this space, there was no, there was no prototype, right? I mean, this is this market's only been really in existence in the public market for the last, you know, seven years, and I've seen basically everyone in it. Um, and so, you know, you can also learn from their mistakes and see how 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 they built things, uh, whether rightly or wrongly. And I think at the, at the end of the day, when we set out to do this, we we set out to to do it the the right way to the best of our ability, and so. Uh, that's, that's what we've tried to do in, in surrounding ourselves with the right people to get that done. So we have a new segment this week that we're, that we are wrapping the show with. Um, we are going to, uh, set out uh, puff, puff pass to drift slowly off into the night. Um, and we are replacing it with a segment we are calling while you were sleeping. Uh, we're workshopping that name. Lewis likes it. Anne's on the fence. <laughs> Shay probably agrees with Anne, um, but let's talk about what's the one thing that we've been missing. In other words, what's the what's the one story um, that you're not seeing written, or what's the what's the you know that one random regulation that that's kind of going to creep up on everybody, or what's like, just what are we missing? Very open ended to whoever wants it. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll start. I'm sure Nate has a very different answer, but I, you know, I'll probably go back to something I've said and, and I'll continue to say kind of ad infinitum. And I, I really think that, you know, it, it's the story of what is the operational scalability of this business. And I don't think people know that right now. I, I really don't. I think that because, you know, yes, you've seen it on the black market in some in some markets. Uh, yes, you've seen it, you know, by certain companies project what they're going to do in certain public markets. But nobody knows what the real operational scalability of this business is, whether it be on a state by state basis or uh, a global uh, company basis. And, and really, that's, you know, that's what we're trying to set out to prove in my mind over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. And so I think that's the story that I'd like to see written, whether it's about Cordova or anybody else, to, to try to prove out what the real business model is here beyond just what we see in the public market today. I'm sure Nate has a, a very different answer. but Well, it's somewhat linked to that. Um, it's kind of, I would go back to uh, something you guys touched on earlier when it comes to federal legal legalization in the U.S. And my advice when asked that question is be careful what you wish for, <laughs> because it will change the game in a significant way. And you're going to, if you think there's a lot of regulation right now, there's comparatively none. <laughs> it's going to get really, really interesting for even some of the most experienced operators at the state level to be able to be compliant on a federal, on a federal level uh, with those regulations and those governing bodies and just the myriad of rules that are going to come along with that. And I think that that's, you know, while I agree that it's coming, I think there's a lot of, of work that the industry needs to do to prepare itself for that. It's do you think not the industry just is green flag racing. Are they doing that? I mean, you talk to your peers. Are they planning for, you know, another three to five years of federal prohibition and state acceptance? Or are they all like, okay, we're ready. We've got our, our SOPs in place. We've got our, our governance in place. We are ready to start working under a new regulatory regime. Or are they going to be like, oh, shit, we didn't, we're not ready for this? I would say the, the smart guy is somewhere in between. Um, I would say anybody that is so confident that they have SOPs, for example, complete and ready to go, that's a pretty, that would be someone who's gearing up for a, a real tough road, um, you know, it's it's something they can be started on, but to say that they would be completely confident that they're completed with it, that's tough. Now, you know, most of the conversation I hear still agrees we're probably three to five years out, just based on the political environment that exists right now and has for, you know, numbers of years. Um, but uh, it could happen any time. Um, you know, you never know what what kind of political motivation can come at any given moment and can create some kind of a, a, a significant change in that. Um, and it could go in either direction to be, to be completely fair. You know, it could, there could be more pushback on, on the industry than, uh, than what there is today. I don't anticipate that at all, but anything can happen. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's definitely going to, to represent significant challenges for every operator in in the u.s right now and i'm confident that there are several uh that will be able to step up and meet those requirements but i'm also very confident that there's many many more that will very much so struggle with that 
And then they're going to go, that's what I commented on earlier. That's, those are the guys that are going to go and complain to their respective states to say, hey, this was our program. They just came along. What right do they have to do that? And, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to be one of those, it'll be a learning experience for everyone. But I do believe it's coming. And, but that's what I would, be, I would be paying attention to as far as being as prepared as possible. Okay. So, you know, this is, this is a forum for you guys. Is there anything that, that we've missed? Anything you want to touch on? Anything you want our listeners to hear? No, I'm good. I really appreciate you having us on. Cool. Well, this was a great conversation. Um, we, uh, really appreciate your guys' time. Um, we know it's Friday afternoon and almost happy hour wherever you are. Um, so thank you. Actually, more importantly, it's almost 420. <laughs> well we still we still have it's, but it's still a work day not, well every day oh that's a, another comment for everyone every day is a work day 365 days a year the plants don't take a break so neither do we <laughs> that was awesome thank you guys that's it for us uh, a huge thanks to Nate Neenheis and Taz Turner from Cordova Can, uh, a Canadian cannabis listed company. They trade on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the ticker symbol CDVA and on the OTC under the ticker symbol LVRLF. Uh, full disclosure, they are a KCSA client. Um, you should check them out at CordovaCan.com and that's C O R D O V A C A N N. Dot com. Um, I hope you had a pen ready or at least back up 15 seconds so you can hear me say that again. Um, if you want to chat with us, with me or Anne, you can find us on Instagram and uh, Twitter with the handle at KCSA underscore cannabis, as well as at our website, which is KCSA-cannabis.com or drop us an email. And I recently got my first piece of hate mail. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> I was so excited. It's because I'm a bleeding heart progressive um but drop us an email at the at green rush at kcsa.com and please don't forget to subscribe to the green rush in your favorite podcaster podcatcher podcatcher uh, hey that's one take shay one take